0: Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed
1: Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, June twenty second, twenty twenty one, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts Lavendar and Anastasia. Well, we've got good news. Mercury went direct two hours ago. Yay! It's going to take a couple of days for it to get really back up to speed, but it's heading in the right direction at least. So we have had several spots open up for our starseed quests because of airline restrictions to our international visitors. So we have a, a handful of spots for the August harmonic convergence quest and for the October Earth to Sky quest, and then the November Pleiadian lineup quest. So this is your chance. Um, If you want to register, just send an email to crystals at starseedhotline.com, and we'll get you squared away. Well, it's our pleasure to welcome Maureen St. Germain back to our show. Maureen is an internationally recognized transformational teacher and best-selling author. Labeled a modern-day mystic in famous Wisconsin mystics, she has over 25 years of experience in the area of mystical and sacred traditions. She's also known as the practical mystic, having taught in 24 countries including China, Japan, Australia, Bulgaria, Turkey, Egypt, England, Scotland, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. She has also taught at the prestigious American Centers, Creepaloo and Omega Institute. Maureen is the author of five books, including the award-winning and best-selling books, Waking Up in 5D and Opening the Akashic Records. The newly revised and updated edition of her best-selling book, Beyond the Flower of Life, is now available on Amazon. She's published in 11 languages. Maureen is also the composer and voice of dozens of guided meditations. Her passion is supporting individuals in their personal expansion and spiritual awakening. And you can visit her website, which is MaureenStgermain.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds not heard in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment. We have an online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a good place to connect with other starseeds safely, thanks to Tammy's continual dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here and you'll get our bi-weekly show notices if you enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is the one-on-one Zoom session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, Emerald, Miara, Riley, or myself. Riley, Emerald, and Miara are now available for the live Stage 2 sessions, so you'll be able to have a starseed consultation in a matter of weeks rather than months. Remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you get 10 hours of power. You can find out exactly when that happens by requesting your solar return timing, and that usually takes a a week um, at the most. And then if you want the stage two interpretation of that chart, um, Emerald, Riley, and Miara and myself are always available. So, first off tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia with
2: the Starseed News. Good evening, Ariel. A beautiful summer, summer evening to everyone out there. Now we've entered the summer solstice. This is the time of year to let go of stress and be one with nature to enjoy the energy of life and the bounty of light. It's a great time. So tonight's news, we learn that all types of coffee, caffeinated and decaffeinated, have found to be protective against chronic liver disease. According to a study that involved almost 500,000 adults from the United Kingdom, a team of scientists from the University of Edinburgh Center for Inflammation Research. That team discovered that drinking coffee, either kind, uh, is associated with a reduced risk of developing and dying from chronic liver disease compared to not drinking coffee, with the benefit of coffee drinking peaking at three to four cups per day. While the researchers analyzed participants with known coffee consumption, who were followed over almost 11 years to monitor who developed chronic liver disease and related liver conditions. Now, compared to non-coffee drinkers, coffee drinkers had a 21% reduced risk of liver problems, a 20% uh, reduced risk of fatty liver disease, and so on and so forth. It all hovered at around uh, uh, 21 to 50%. It was actually a, nearly a 50% reduced risk of death from chronic liver disease. Now, they say the maximum benefit was seen by the group who drank ground coffee, which contained high levels of kalyol and cafestol. Instant coffee happens to have low levels of those components, but it also was associated with the reduced risk of chronic liver trouble. They say that coffee is widely acceptable, and the benefits we see from our study may mean that it could offer a potential preventative treatment for all types of chronic liver disease, according Hmm. to researchers. One study, one finding, but interesting. So if you like coffee and you think it might be bad for you, well, there's someone out there telling you something very different, that coffee can be helpful and good for your liver. Well, here's a story. You really need to listen closely to this one. Um, It has such... Incredible implications, but the way science is going, science fiction is now science fact. So this story is about scientists' efforts to convert songbirds' brain signals into the song itself. Uh, Let me explain. A team of researchers from the University of California have revealed that they devised a means of reproducing bird song via the use of a vocal synthesizer. But wait. This is not a typical recording of bird song, merely programmed into an artificial voice, such as those AI fake human recordings that we all hear on most business calls these days. So if it's not that, what have these researchers done? Well, they translated the brain activity of zebra finches that was recorded from electrode arrays implanted into the bird brain tissue. And then... They reproduced those complex vocalizations right down to the pitch, volume, and timbre of the original. And specifically, they recorded the electrical activity of multiple populations of neurons in the sensorial motor part of the brain that ultimately controls the muscles responsible for singing. And then they fed these neural recordings into machine learning algorithms, Enter AI, enter computer. Well, now, their idea was that the algorithms would be able to make computer-generated copies of actual zebra finch songs just based on the bird's neural activity. That didn't work so well. That proved quite difficult. So what they did was they had to use mathematical equations that modeled the changes in pressure and tension that happens inside the finch's strings, which is their vocal cord. When these birds sing, they measured the movement of the muscles within the bird's throat. The scientists then trained their algorithms, mathematics folks, to map neural activity directly to the physical movements inside of the bird's throat. The results provided evidence that complex natural behaviors can be directly synthesized from ongoing neural activity. What does that mean? Well, it means that we may be able to transfer our thoughts into vocalizations via prosthesis. They say this could inspire similar approaches to prosthetics in humans and other species by exploiting new discoveries in technology and neurology. Oh, that brings up all kinds of questions. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, animals talking. Okay, we can translate bird song. What about what birds are really saying? What about the language of animals? I mean, this just opens it all up. Anyway, I'll go on. The current state of the art in communication prosthetics is implantable devices today that allow you to generate textual output, writing up to 20 words per minute. Now, This is according to a professor at, at the University of California, San Diego. And he goes on to say, now imagine a vocal prosthesis that enables you to communicate naturally with speech, saying out loud what you're thinking instantly as you think it. That is our ultimate goal, and it is the next frontier in functional recovery. In many people's minds, going from a songbird model to a system that will eventually go into humans is a really big evolutionary jump, no easy task. So now the team's next step is to demonstrate that their system can reconstruct bird song from neural activity in real time. So without going through the step of decoding uh, sort of this, what, interpretation method uh, of this complex algorithm that could decipher the uh, muscle movements inside the bird into the actual notes. Uh, they plan on directly uh, translating the neural activity onto a vocal pattern. That's wild stuff. You can read about this study. It's just published a few days ago in a science journal called Current Biology. There you go. I mean, yeah, there's awesome. something scary wow. about uh,
0: that.:
2: Oh,, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all scary, really. The world is changing so quickly. OK, here's a great story. I love this. You go, you know, some of you are really going to identify with this. A woman mm-hmm. was reunited with her wallet that she lost 46 years ago in a movie theater. People that were old enough to lose a wallet 46 years ago wait till what I tell you next. In other words, people from that age group. A woman was reunited with a wallet. She lost 46 years ago after an employee working on remodeling a Southern California historic majestic Ventura theater. Been in there, quite a theater. The guy discovered it inside a crawl crawl space. So a man told a local newspaper that he went on social media to try to locate the owner based on clues in the wallet. Now The wallet had old photographs in it, quite a few, quite a lot. And guess what? Here's where the people from that age group are going to be amazed. There was a 1973 Grateful Dead concert ticket and a California driver's license for a woman named Colleen, and it expired in 1976. He said, does anyone know this woman giving her first and last name? He asked on Facebook. He said, while doing some maintenance, we found her wallet. There's a bunch of pictures of people, and they're super cool from that era also. Yeah. Seemed like an antique to this guy. He said, someone may want them. So if you are, you know this woman named Colleen, drop us a line and we'll have it here for you. Well, this got shared thousands of times. But word finally got back to this woman who grew up in the area and she remains a resident there. She'd said she'd heard from a lot of people online and received a call about the post. So she went to pick up the red wallet, which is now brown with age. And she said, it's like opening a time capsule. She said, <laughs> I lost the wallet in 1975. I was in my early 20s, and that was then a movie theater. I remember calling the theater the next day when I realized I'd lost my wallet. They said no one found it, but to call back, which I did, they never found it. She said, in retrospect, it had to have fallen out of her purse, which she had placed on the theater floor. At that time, her wallet held a $200 check, the Grateful Dead ticket, and family photos. It also contained poetry, notes, pictures of high school friends, uh, the ticket, all kinds of little goodies, photos of her mother who had died several years ago. She said, it's really wonderful. And she really didn't want to talk publicly about the experience, but she said there was such a positive response. Everybody was so enthused that she got her wallet back. She decided to go public and make a statement, and she said this. It says a lot about our society that people need news like this. People are looking for a human story. They need something to feel good. People need to see the gratitude, kind of what can come back to them. I think there's so much other negative stuff. I think that a good story like this, a good happening like this, is what touched people. Well, for sure. A Grateful Dead to mm. it. How cool is Yeah. That? All right. And there's a picture of it, too. I'm sure I had one of those. <laughs> okay. <it is>. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Good news on the environment front and on the humane front and on the human evolution front. The European Parliament is overwhelmingly backing a ban on caged animal farming. This just happened on the 10th of June. The European Parliament urged the European Commission to make cages for farmed animals illegal across the European Union by 2027. I don't know why they couldn't have done it a little bit sooner. But anyway, adopting a resolution on the End the Cage Age, check that out, End the Cage Age, European Citizens Initiative. The resolution was passed by an overwhelming majority with the co-chair of the working group on cage-free farming, saying that this vote marked a historical day in the fight for a cage-free Europe. The European Parliament brought the Union a step closer to finally ending the cruel practice of cage farming, which every year, condemns over 300 million animals to live in a cage. Wow. And here's another story. You know, last time we had a story about little animals getting uh, caught in the sewer, baby ducks and such as that. I tell you, I had no idea so many animals get caught in the sewer. Well, here's a story about firefighters who had to get a baby raccoon to get his head out of a sewer cover. There's a photograph of it on on the net. It's amazing. This round sewer cover has holes in it, a hole in the center, and right smack in the middle is a baby uh, raccoon, head sticking up in the hole, looking quite bewildered and immovable. So this happened in Detroit. Firefighters had to come to the rescue of this baby raccoon that was struggling and and quite a predicament. Um, The Macomb County Animal Control called the Township Fire Department, and when they arrived, they just were dumbfounded to find this raccoon completely stuck in the sewer cover. They took a picture while they tried to figure out what to do. First, they tried putting soap around the animal's neck. Can you see these big guys in the big yellow outfits, big men, trying to figure out how to save a baby raccoon? Oh, I know, let's get some soap. So I don't know where they got their soap, but they used palm olive or whatever. Dawn, I don't know what they did. They put the soap around the animal's neck, keeping their fingers crossed, and that didn't work. And then they thought, being the real he-man they are, let's cut into the cast iron cover. Well, no, we might kill the poor little thing. So they tried to decide what else to do. And somebody said, "Um, we tried all kinds of different things, but it was stuck in there really good. And so let's get one of the neighbors to bring some cooking oil. Somebody brought a bottle of cooking oil. I'll bet the raccoon didn't like this very much, but they oiled him up real good, and they were able to pull him out and free him at last without any injury at all. Firefighters said, we get ducks all the time that fall in the storm drains, but I never have remembered any raccoon rescues. This is my first. Uh, It's an adorable raccoon, and it's wonderful that they were able to save it. Cooking oil. I think that was inspiration they actually found something that worked. It would be desperate to stand there and see that little animal stuck and not be able to get him out. I'm sure it was a joyful thing to to help him get out of that hole. One wonders, though, what was a raccoon doing in Detroit City? I don't know. Animals are coming closer into human environments, I guess. Um, Here's a story I wanted to share with you. Do you know that scientists have created a method that turns moon dust into oxygen. As we might expect, human life on the moon is going to require breathable oxygen. And there's only so much that astronauts can take with them. So figuring out how to produce oxygen on the moon is really quite essential if you want to do anything with it. So now uh, a British company has discovered that they can extract oxygen from moon dust. It's called metalysis and it's a materials technology firm from England, and they announced that they had partnered with the European Space Agency to develop a method of extracting extraterrestrial oxygen from materials found on the satellite surface. In addition to being able to extract 96% of oxygen from lunar soil, also known as regolith, the process will leave behind metals that could be used for building settlements on the moon. This project is an important step forward in the development of a sustainable source of oxygen on the moon and to providing the fuel for spacecraft landing on and launching from the surface. And also, producing such valuable resources right there on the site could significantly reduce the payload mass that would be needed to be launched from Earth. They said one of the main drivers of the project was so that we could use resources that are already on the moon rather than having to take them from Earth to the moon Because that's very expensive. The more you can utilize what's there, the better. Well, I'll say, able to extract 96% of oxygen from lunar soil. Wow. Wow. Oh, I love this story. How many of you, of course I can't see your hands, but I'm just going to pretend. Raise your hands. How many of you have tossed out chewing gum? You know, just tossed it out of the car. Been in the park, spit out a piece of chewing gum, whatever. Well, here's somebody that deposited their shoe chewing gum, and, uh, well, we found it and analyzed it. We have analyzed its genetic code from a 5,700-year-old chewing gum that reveals extraordinary details of a young woman. This 5,700-year-old lump of pitch from a tree is showing intriguing details to the archaeologists that discovered it, about the intimate details of a Stone Age Danish woman, and the chewing gum sheds new light on the evolution of our species. It was found on an island that was known for mud, and this Paleolithic chewing gum has been perfectly preserved. Scientists are able to determine the individual's skin, hair, and eye color, their profile, their dental health, diet, and more, based on the DNA inside of the gum so 3,700 years before the biblical story of Jesus, a woman with dark skin, dark hair, and blue eyes lived around a place in Denmark called Stilthom on the island of Lowland and was chewing on a one-centimeter-long piece of birch pitch before spitting it out on the ground, as so many of us have done since. There it became encased in mud for millennia until scientists managed to somehow identify, preserve, and study it. In the pitch, researchers were able to collect her entire genome, as well as those of other species that had inhabited her mouth. She was lactose intolerant. She preferred wild food to agricultural grains and staples, and carried a viral infection many of us have today. The associate professor from the Globe Institute at the University of Copenhagen said, it is amazing to have gotten a complete ancient human genome from anything other than bone. What is more, we've also retrieved DNA from oral microbes and several important human pathogens, which makes us a very valuable source of ancient DNA, especially for time periods where we have no human remains. This individual was named Lola, after the name of the island on which the gum was found. She had dark skin, suggesting the adaptive lighter skin of Northern Europeans evolved much later on. She could have been chewing on the gum made by rendering down birch bark for a number of reasons. It was a principal Stone Age adhesive agent, um, and because it becomes more pliable when it's warm, people could have chewed it for just the reason we chew gum. They said it was a possibility that it was also antiseptic. Maybe she had a toothache. And anyway, the, the gum uh, contained the viral DNA of the Epstein-Barr virus, which infects 90% of humans today. They found the DNA of the mallard duck and hazelnuts, likely the meal that Lola last ate. That was also encased in the pitch. They said wow. it was the biggest Stone Age site in Denmark and the archaeological finds suggest that the people who occupied the site were heavily exploiting wild resources well into the Neolithic period, which is the period when farming and domesticated animals were first introduced into southern Scandinavia. So next time we see a pitch of, of gum, a piece of gum in a ditch,
0: <laughs> we need to
2: think of Lola and maybe ourselves because it may be in another five thousand years. Scientists will be able to parse out the characteristics of our modern time. Isn't that wild? Wow. What a story. Innocent gum. Revealing so very much. Well, it is the summer solstice. solstice, And I have a really wonderful quote, quote for you. If you think about it, you have to think about it. A perfect summer day is when the sun is shining, the breeze is blowing, and the birds are singing and the lawnmower is broken.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's just swing in the hammock, sip some lemonade, and, you know, listen to the birth. Perfect. Summer is divine. And so may the sun shine upon you, all love surround you, and the pure light within you guide your way on. From my heart to yours, night, night, everybody. This is Santa Stage, and I'll see you next time on the Starseed News. Thank you, Arielle.
1: Uh, thanks so much, Anastasia. Some things to think about there. And we'll talk to you um, next time. Yep. Good night. Night, night. Wow. I really like that quote. So I am going to get um, Maureen's mic open and Lavender's mic open. Okay,
3: Maureen, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you back. I am so happy to be with you. And while I was listening to that fabulous news announcement, I was thumbing through some papers and I actually saw that I've been on your show way back in 2014 and maybe even earlier than that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you've been one of our favorites for a long time and we're just really glad that you're, that you're back with us tonight. Thank you so much. It also speaks for your longevity too, doesn't it? Well, you know, we do what we can and uh, uh, really enjoy helping to empower people with knowledge from all kinds of people. Cool. So, um, Lavendar, are you ready?
4: I'm ready. I'm here. Okay. Take it away. So, Maureen, when I got your book, when it came in the mail, it said, Beyond the Flower of Life. I went, okay, this must be Beyond Drumvalo, Is that right?
3: It is, that's true.
4: <laughs> well, I have been uh, noticing many, for many, many years the working of the Earth's energy systems, and, and it looks like that in this book you have really tackled that particular subject matter. So tell us a little bit about the ley lines, the grid lines, and, and how implants work with this. I'm really curious. To uh, hear what you have to say about this. This is a wonderful book, by the way. I'm really enjoying this book. Thank
3: you very much. Well, ley lines um, have a particular impact on people, and they don't realize if you um, happen to sit or sleep where the ley lines cross, you can get an overabundance of that energy. It's great to meditate there briefly, but you wouldn't want to stay in that spot. And it also impacts uh, how people interact with the energies that are coming in. So, for example, if you have a cat that sits on a spot in your home and it's not cushy and it's not sunny, it's probably a spot where they're sitting to convert those ley line crossings. So that would be a place you would want to avoid, which is kind of cool. Um, And then implants are a separate matter, and implants are occurring with um, uh, some frequency. And all of that came in in such, you know, kind of like the work you did with the discovery you had with the astrology. I wasn't looking for this. I wasn't expecting this, but it was coming through the Akashic Records, and every time Uh, someone would be told this they would you know follow the guidance and then they would follow their own inner guidance and they would be given a specific direction on where to release a particular implant and how to release it and most of them were released in a place where there was water and one of my best uh, students slash friends who's very plugged in she said later You know, I never believed it when you started talking about this until it happened to me. She had this, you know, severe pain in her body. She could not justify why she would have this strange pain in her leg or wherever it was. And then when she was on her own, um, she was told by her own guides to go to a lake and to release it on a particular day, and then the pain was gone.
0: Wow, okay.
4: So what you're saying is that that star seeds that have either walk-ins or implants in their body will have kind of a beep-beep to these ley lines and the grid system. Is that what you're saying?
3: Um, I don't know whether it's to ley lines and grid systems or not. I, that's what I was trying to say when I said it. I think they're a separate matter, that the ley okay. line issue is one thing and then the implants is another.
4: Oh, okay. All right. So I noticed in the book that you talked about the, the the Christ grid. Can you give us a little information about how that came about?
3: Yes, that was another complete surprise to me. Um, I was meditating on the Christ Consciousness Grid. And the Christ Consciousness Grid is a grid energy grid that we have been told by many people that sits about 60 miles above the earth. And the purpose of the grid is to... Uh, help humanity level up. So it's kind of like a I kind of made a joke that it would be like when kids wear a uniform to school, they they tend to behave better. And so the actual Christ consciousness grid was built for to ensure our success. Now, as I meditated on this, I realized where did the where did the ascended masters get this information? Where did they come up with a grid that would prove we made it. And they traveled to a version of the future where we made it and copied the grid that was already there.
4: Wow. That makes sense. Coming yes. back from coming back from the future.
3: Right. And what an aha. Kinda of, yeah. kind of, it kind of kinda of puts everything in its place and it takes away a lot of the fear that a lot of people have about the future.
4: So, you know, the Crystal Grid is here in Arkansas, and I've, I've noticed a lot of, uh, of psychics and energy workers and a lot of different people are being drawn to come here to the Crystal Grid. So have you uh, thought about bringing a group to Arkansas on no. a retreat or anything?
3: Yeah, I have thought about doing that. I haven't done it yet, but I have thought about doing it. And um, I've had many friends who have been on your trips Or have been to arkansas themselves to um, collect the crystals and to connect with the crystal grids because the energy is just so wonderful um you know it's it's so interesting to me because i think some of the ley lines and some of the um points of high energy are moving and certainly it shows up in pictures for example There is a temple in Egypt, and it's known as Karnak. And, you know, I've been going there for years and years and years. And when you would take a picture at night there, it would be like it was snow because there were so many orbs in the air. And the last few years I've gone, there are no orbs there. They're gone. And I think they've moved to a new location for whatever reason. I haven't figured out why.
4: Well, that makes makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, that does make sense. You know, in astrology last year, we had Jupiter and Saturn and Pluto all at 26 Capricorn. Well, 26 Capricorn is the mark of the crystal grid. So with Jupiter there, which happens every 12 years, that was a pretty big activation, but Saturn hadn't been there for 28 years. And then, of course, Pluto hadn't been there for 250 years. So when this configuration happened at the crystal-degree grid, I said, oh, my goodness, these are messages that are being sent out from all over the planet through the ley lines. So had you heard anything about this before?
3: No, I had not, but my experience confirms what you're telling us, and I like that explanation. You know, people who are interested in understanding or seeing a visual of the um, Earth grid image, Cheryl Boyke, a visionary artist, you know made this great picture and it is visible online um a lot of people stole her image and called it the christ consciousness grid and her um her uh, message when she got this vision and then created the art was that um she called it her dark night of the soul and she thought she was always having nightmarish visions. so this was very powerful For her to have had this experience and within words within the vision she said bring your vision before the people so maybe that's why the nobody in the family ever chases anybody for copying it I have a legitimate copy I got permission from them to use it in the book um, in chapter 13 but what I found interesting is she called it cosmic integrity and I like that name because for me, it resonates with the message I was given, that the Christ Consciousness Grid would make it easy for us to make wise choices. So cosmic integrity is a match.
4: So the word that comes to me that after you said that was evolutionist. I'm kind of seeing now that starseed people on the planet are evolving now to being evolutionists because they're here to evolve the planet and its people.
3: Yes. And I have had experiences with a number of either family members of the the Starseeds or the grandparents of the younger Starseeds. And the information that comes through is that their sense of fairness and justice is way more evolved than ours. And it kind of resonates with that newscast about England passing a law about no more caged animals. The, the 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 evolutionists the star seeds have uh, a higher vibe but uh, version of what would be considered fair or just
4: I noticed that on page one thirty nine in your book chapter seven you have a chapter it's really surprised me that you wrote this about black helicopters not many people have dared to even step into that arena so would you give us a little thumbnail sketch of what you've written about in this chapter about black helicopters and what they're doing here
0: yes i will
3: and it's so funny that you say that because i wrote this book the first time in 2009 and we sold over we sold about 10,000 copies and then last year inner traditions picked it up and helped you know we did a rewrite and then re-released it and updated it for today's audience so in the storyline when i wrote this chapter i had an editor a personal editor, because I had self-published it the first time. And um, this editor that I had hired had been, you know, reviewing, uh, re-editing each chapter, chapter by chapter. And when I sent him the chapter on black helicopters, he said, you know, I was with you all the way until this. What <laughs> could you really be thinking of, you know? And honest to gosh, I had so many Black helicopter experiences after activating the Merkaba, and since then, that there is no doubt in my mind that there is an agency that is uh, tracking anomalies in the field. So if you're an, an ordinary human, but you've activated your Merkaba, your energy field looks different. It looks more like what I'm going to call alien technology, and the energy or the forces behind the black helicopters, which I don't know, I'm not presuming to know, nor do I care to know, are charged with the mission of tracking those anomalies. And those anomalies then uh, show up on whatever their system is. It probably is like radar, although I don't think it is radar. And so when people have these experiences, the Uh, the first thing is, oh, my God, what's going on? I'm scared, you know. And my response is, you know, don't be scared. They're not going to do anything. They're just trying to figure out who you are. And they're looking at you saying, you're the oddball. You know, we think that's odd until we start to look at it. And then the other thing I tell people, and this is important, is you can make yourself invisible with a command in your Merkaba and a program. And so... Um, Once you do that, then you're not noticeable. Um, And I've had some very interesting experiences. One uh, lady who lives out on Long Island told me that she was on the freeway and a black helicopter came so close she thought it was gonna land on her car. And there were cars all around. And you know, everybody's driving at 60 miles an hour. And another recent story, a woman was doing uh, a new meditation that I had put out for them. And she was sitting at the beach and she was playing it and participating and a helicopter came, a black helicopter came and she was with a friend who wasn't, I'll say, one of us and the friend thought it was a sweet-sounding uh, meditation but she wasn't, you know, joining in. And then this helicopter shows up and then it did a 90-degree turn and became invisible. They don't know where it went. They couldn't even see it. Um, and one of the... Uh, most oddball stories was from a guy who was in a class and he called me the following week almost in the middle of the night and said I, I absolutely have to tell you what happened and he was sitting on the, the fire escape facing 8th Avenue and he and his buddy were having this conversation about EPs and black holes you know and all kinds of stuff like this like we would talk about and suddenly there was a white helicopter that flew up 8th Avenue at his height and then turned um, enough so that the belly of the helicopter could scan him. And he said when it, when it started to get close, that was enough for him, and he ran inside. And, you know, you hear these stories and you think, these are normal people. They couldn't possibly be making it up. They're, they're, they're too wild, and the people themselves are too normal.
4: I noticed that um, you have also written about time travel and the black helicopters. Tell us a little bit about that story. That's oh, really interesting. That was a
3: very interesting experience, and this alludes to time travel and also uh, multiple timelines of, a, of, of, you know, like weaving together more than one timeline. And in this particular class, I found myself teaching it like I was following a script that was being coded into my physical body, and it was a most unusual experience. Normally I'm checking in with my guides and my higher self as I teach, and I'll be given more information, or I'll be given specific information for a person. So on this particular class, it was like I got a very tight schedule, and I wasn't telling anybody we're going to do this next, we're going to do this next. It was more like we're going to do this. And then after we did this, then I would say, okay, now we'll take a break. And, you know, normally I would teach and say, okay, it's 10 o'clock now. We're going to do a break in an hour. And that helps people figure out, okay, I can hold it till then, you know. So at the end of this class, I always wanted to teach programming of your Merkaba and to also program your Merkaba to be invisible. And as soon as I announced that I was going to activate the Merkaba and talk about black helicopters and then program, this woman that was sitting across from me, a I, I registered nurse, a professional woman, absolutely, you, you could see the fear on her face. And I looked her in the eye and I said, stay with me, it'll be fine. And I had been told right before this, you have one hour to get this piece covered. So we, I said, I'm not taking any questions, there's not enough time. So I taught them the programming, I explained why they had to be invisible, We activated the Merkaba. We made ourselves invisible, and she went home, and there were no black helicopters. And after the class, I um, went over to her, and a bunch of people gathered around me, and I looked at her, and I said, you were visited by black helicopters, weren't you? And she said, yes. And I said, when did they come? Because this was like a three-day class, so it could have come last night or the night before. And she said Thursday night before class started. So that meant that she was spotted and not invisible and they time traveled back to see when she became this special anomaly. And I was absolutely stunned when my guides explained to me what had happened, that there were two timelines, two versions of that workshop, and I was actually threading past the second one. You know, threading just like you would follow a weave. And at the end, we were, made ourselves invisible, and that was the end.
4: Uh, wow. I can, I can visualize that as you were talking. Oh, my goodness. There is so much to say about this, this book and how you have brought up so many things to, for people to know about, especially uh, the chapter on uh, fear, the, uh, clearing the fear of dolphins and whales. You've, you've done a lot of ocean work, too, haven't you?
3: Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And, and you know, when I started this uh, journey, I knew that I was going to be a teacher. So I spent a lot of time working with healers to um, ensure that I would be ready. And so, the, you know, the payoff has, has come through. Um, I will tell you one funny story that I was going to an angel healer and she would put her hands on my body and she would start to shake. And this went on month after month after month. I would go in every week for a session, you know, to have her do whatever needed to be done to help me raise up. And she would always give me messages and things. And I would say to her, you know, well, what what are you clearing? She's, I don't know. And, you know, finally, after maybe three or four months of this, she got the answer. Hatred of men. And I went, whoa, where did that come from? Well, then I was tapped into a lifetime where I had um, been in a situation as Nefertiti, uh, who was the wife of Akhenaten, and when he was taken out by the, the high priests, she was taken prisoner, and she was never found, she was never rescued, and what I got was that she just got so tired of waiting for him to rescue her, he was busy fighting a war, that he, that she just exited. And because I said to my therapist, the, you know, the gal who was doing the therapy on me, the heart angel hearing, healing, I love men. I have four sons. I, I was happily married for over 20 years, you know. What the heck? And she says, I know. I don't get it either, but... It is what it is. So um, there's a lot to be said for doing your emotional work. And this goes for all of you who are listening. Do your emotional work. Get with uh, Lavendar and her team. They do wonderful, wonderful work. And we have people on our team that also help with that work. So there's lots of tools out there for you. And uh, doing your emotional work opens you up to get into the fun and games that we're into
4: now. So, do you have some retreats coming up? Are you traveling yet, or are you not being able to travel?
3: Well, it's very interesting you say this. I actually did a virtual retreat with um, my Ascension Institute people last uh, last week, and we did a you know two days of four hours straight, and it was pretty intense, but it was amazing. And we are planning another retreat in Sedona in September. I am moving to Sedona. Uh, next month, and um, we're going to open up a physical school. We've had a school online for a while, and now we're going to open up a physical school so people can come, and I'm also going to have other teachers, so maybe you guys can come as well. And um, then I also have a, a, a whale swim that's booked to go to French Polynesia. Um, and that's already sold out, so uh, that's it. That's all i got on my plate right now. Okay.
4: Um, I noticed that, that something's been happening on the planet where it seems to be a time of the elementals coming back and making themselves known. Uh, could Have you had any experiences with fairies or gnomes or the elementals, anything that you could share with our audience? Because I know that we're, we have a lot of people that are having experiences with elementals right now. Yes. Even, even, even the corrupted ones that don't like humans. <laughs>
3: Um, Yes, actually, I have had a lot of experience with the Elementals, and um, I I found a way for people to really connect with the Elemental Kingdom, but one of the really sweet and funny stories was when I was traveling every week, I came home to my uh, backyard garden in my house that I had in Wisconsin, and you know, the quack grass had taken off, and there were weeds, and it was a beautiful cultivated garden, but it was a mess. And I started talking to the elementals, and I said, um, I thought you guys were going to help me. This place looks terrible, you know, and I really wish I could hear you. And instantly, everything turned on. And it was a result of the work I had been doing, which I'll share with you in just a moment. But when it turned on, there was this cacophony of voices. And this one, I said, all right, all right, one at a time. Now, keep in mind, I'm saying this in my head. I'm not talking out loud. I'm just thinking this thought. And all these voices. And then this one, I said, all right, all right, one at a time, in my head. And this male voice, which I could tell was a gnome, said, you never asked us. And I said, what? I did too. Um, Don't you remember when we planted, you know, 150 bulbs and I put dolomite in and we blessed the bulb and I asked you to look after them?" And he shook his finger at me and he said, oh, no, you expected us to help you. And I swallowed hard and I thought, oh, now I'm going to have to eat humble pie. And I stood there for a moment and I said, okay, if I asked you to help me, would you help me? And his answer was, if you, if we agreed to do this, will you still come out here all the time? And that's when I bought patio furniture. I didn't have patio furniture because I was, you know, a little bit on the lean side. And... Um, <laughs> I went out and bought patio furniture, and I took every meal outside that I could from April till November and, you know, talked to them and and stayed with them. So what's the key? I have a a chant, and this chant is called El Ka Lim Om. I call it the Hathor Chant, and it is the sounding of the words of... uh, uh, earth, fire, water, and air in the Hathor tongue. And when I got this information, I knew it came from the Hathors, and then someone said to me, well, you know, that's in Tom Kenyon's book. And I went, really? I read that book. I don't remember that. And so we were at someone's house, you know, we are teaching a seminar, and we pulled the book, and sure enough, there it was. So then I wrote to Tom, and I said, what do you think could I could, uh, use this? Um, even though I knew I had gotten it myself, I felt like I should honor the fact that he'd put it in print, and I had not. And and he wrote back and said, um, yes, actually, um, you have permission. And he got permission from uh, Judy, uh, his co-author. And <clears throat> the interesting thing is I was a little cheeky in the moment, and I wrote him back and I said, Tom, um did you happen to ask the hathors if you should endorse my uh cd and and keep in mind that i already knew that tom did not endorse anyone's cd because apparently somebody that was in his inner circle had created something that he didn't like and he decided the easy way out was i'm not endorsing anybody so i was you know i was kind of setting it up you know did you ask the hathors if you should endorse it and he wrote back in a very sweet way and he said Actually, I had not. But since you suggested the idea, I thought it wouldn't hurt for me to ask. And they said, Maureen, you don't need the Hathors or my support. This will take off.
4: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I love that. It is available
3: as a, a download on my website. It's called Mantras for Ascension. The first chant is the Hathor chant, and it is the Hathor words for earth, fire, water, and air. And then the second chant on this um, download, or CD if you want a CD, we still have physical CDs left, um, is what I call the Hebrew chant. And that chant clears a room. So what the what the Hathor chant does, and this is something important to tell people because some people will just go hog and, and not, not pay attention to everything else, but what happens with this chant, the Hathor chant, is when you do it and you repeat it four to the fourth power, because that's what is recommended, uh, what happens is then you sit still for like 10 minutes, and you're sitting still the whole time because you're singing. And most people aren't used to singing that long. So what happens is I tell them, get some water, spell yourself, if you start to get tired, and, and but stay with it as best you can. So you sing along, sing your own tune, sing your own rhythm, it doesn't matter, but you repeat it at the, the exact amount of 4 to the 4th power because the Hathor's come in 4s. And then you sit still. And what happens is magical, especially if you do it in a group, because your body will become, can become stiff. Now, the first time this happened to someone, it happened to a man who was a uh, lobbyist in Washington, D.C., who was in my class. So he was kind of a uh, straight kind of guy, if you know what I mean. Uh, and yet here he is in this class, and he could not move his body. And when he reported about it, he was, like, really unhappy about it. But it has happened now consistently with lots of people. And so I like to give everyone a heads up. Expect that to happen. And if it does, say thank you. Because what it means is the Hathors are cleaning out your pranic tube. And they're literally stiffening your body so that they can work your pranic tube and do what I'll call the rotor rooter of your pranic tube and clean it out and open up that channel. And it was that particular chant that I did for two years every day that I believe was the reason why the elementals were able to just come right through when I said, I'd really like to talk to you guys.
4: (laughs) Wow. So I I noticed in this book also that you you mentioned uh, King Arthur and Camelot. I, I, I just wanted to ask you if you've had any information about Avalon coming out of the mist and being seen again because they put it in another dimension a long time ago. Have you heard anything about that? No, but what
3: I did want was for people to get the idea that we could slip into higher dimensions in the same way that uh, was described in the King Arthur story. And, you know, I love Marion Zimmer Bradley's version, and the movie that came out, I don't know, maybe five or ten years ago, is also pretty good, pretty true to story, even though they left left big chunks of it out because of... You know, timing, I guess. But if you've never read this story, Myths of Avalon, and it's the King Arthur story, I highly recommend it. It's a thick book. It's a long book. And years and years ago, we're talking a lot of years ago, my 15-year-old son handed it to me and said, Mom, my best friend gave this to me as a gift, and I've read it, and I think you need to read it.
4: Isn't that amazing? Oh, wow. (laughs) <laughs> oh, your son did that? Oh wow. He knew his mama, didn't he?
3: Yeah. Yeah, and plus, you know, it was pre- it was sold as a fantasy book. But it was like a number one bestseller, so everybody who was into fantasy books was buying it, you know.
4: Well, it's not really a fantasy, it was really the truth.
3: I think so too. I think Yeah,
4: so absolutely so. the truth. Yeah. So um, I notice what time it is, so I'd like to pass you over to my co-host, Arielle, at this time, who has the switchboard. I'm so happy that you have written this book and, and all the work that you've been doing for many, many years and all the places that you travel traveled to. When are you going to take a rest? When are you going to just take a deep breath and just go find a, a sandy beach in a palm tree somewhere? <laughs>
3: Well, I am finding a big rest when we move because they're going to take away our furniture and we're not going to have it until they bring it to a new location and we're flying. We're not driving. So I'm going to have a good rest. I'm going to go visit family members and hang out and take it easy. And then I jump right in in August. And, you know, I did forget to mention that we have a number of events that I am participating in that are um public events so if they go to my website they can see these events i'm going to be in um, mount shasta and i'm going to be in florida um, and a few others so please check my website for these events that are coming up in august and if you really want to know some of the backstory of beyond the flower of life i just recently gave uh, posted a blog on the inner traditions blog site and it tells a lot of fun background story you won't find anywhere else. Kinda of like those movie outtakes that you see. Yeah.
4: Okay, good. Good. Oh, cool. I'll go check that out. So back to you, Ariel. And anytime you want to come on, Maureen, you just let us know if you have a special announcement or anything, just for ten minutes. You always have an invitation to be our guest.
3: Thank you. That's very kind of you. I look forward to it.
4: Okay, so back to you, Arielle.
3: Okay, Um, well, just before I
1: have have some some questions for you myself, um, I just wanted to let our listeners know that if you are already on our switchboard and you have a question or comment for Maureen, uh, you'll need to press 1 on your keypad so that we know you have something to say. Or if you're listening on the computer, then pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292 And then as soon as you're in, press 1, and um, Kathy will get you ready to come on and ask your question. So um, a few minutes ago you said something, and I thought, what is that? What does that mean when you you, you say it four times, four to the fourth
3: power? Okay, so what we were talking about is the Hathor chant, and that's the chant that you do to open up your connection to the elemental kingdom, and it is the four words for earth, air, fire, and water in the Hathor language. So it's El Ka Lim Om, and chanting it—it's really sung. Um, the Hathors only communicate in singing. So you know, if you've ever heard your name like in your head, but they're singing, you know, Ariel, and you think to yourself, "What is that? Why? You know, why does it sound?" Or, or even more interesting, if it sounds like it's Underwater, you know, like you're hearing it through bubbles, you know That is the Hathors communicating with you and reaching you because they got you They got to your inner ear Um, So the actual chant is only four words And the reason we repeat it four to the fourth power Is because the Hathors come in four And when you take it to the fourth power, which is 256 repetitions You're amplifying that energy to its maximum and there are a ton of funny stories about the hathors because they have such a great sense of humor and they have so much love for us and they were invited to the planet by uh, sana kumara and their their presence was not documented in egypt and that's why you see those those statues and those pillars with the hathors on them so you know, 4
1: to the 4th power is um, saying those 4 words 256 times?
3: That is correct.
1: Okay, and can it be over a course of time?
0: Uh-huh. Like you, okay, you're you said well. you,
3: When you work with the half you can do the repetitions any amount of 4s. So you could do it 4 times, 8 times, 16, 24, like that. However... If you want to get the full benefit or the full effect in a, in you know one sitting, and it takes twenty minutes to do, you would do the two hundred fifty six times. But even if you were to sing those words uh, four times, it would be very powerful. Um, and that's why I was telling that story about when we sit in meditation, some magic happens. Um, and, and that's also why I recorded it because it's pretty hard. To keep the momentum going, and it's hard to keep track of the count. And I've had, like I said, I've had some pretty amazing experiences when I've done this meditation with with a group. I've I have never had a group meditation doing this chant where stuff hasn't happened. So this is the invitation to your listeners. You don't have to use my CD. You can sit there making hash marks. You can sing it in any tune you want, but sing it. Don't say it.
1: Okay, yeah, because I was thinking it would be distracting to try to keep count. Okay, I've done how many, have I done 17 or 27, you know,
3: as long as they're
4: groups of four.
3: I had to figure out a way to set up um, a marker system, and I did. You know, I did like 10, 10, 10, like that, so I could keep track. I was using hash marks, and it isn't a big distraction. I wasn't participating nearly as fully as I do now that I have the recording. You're absolutely right. So you recorded the the four word
1: song that you made, and then and you just recorded it like like a loop and just kept over and over and over again. That's correct. We recorded
3: it um, probably four or eight times. I had a choir that um, one of my sons, there's a bunch of 16 year olds who sang for me, and. Um, so we recorded it so we got you know good track and then i looped it till i had 256 times exactly so i can play a little bit for you if you want i don't know if it will um play well but if you want i can do that or you know if the if the uh, participants want they can go out to youtube to my youtube channel and you can uh you know listen to it there it's on youtube um so, you know, you don't even have to buy it.
1: <laughs> you can just play it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah well, um, yeah, I don't know how the sound will translate, but let's, you know, give it, you know, a a whirl for, okay. you know, for 30 seconds or so and just so we can kind of get the, the flavor
3: of it. Okay, that sounds good. Just a second here. And I will put it on. Ah, da da da
1: get the idea oh wow yeah that's not at all what i thought i was going to
3: hear that was beautiful thank you yeah well wow. you know we rehearsed and it, like i said it was it was a professional choir of 16 year olds <laughs> wow 16 to 18 year old yeah it was uh a, an elite group that my son was in and his choir teacher was thrilled to be able to do something like this you know when i paid her and the students you know it was lovely
1: Wow! Well, that's that. That is really. I'm mean, gonna have to go go find that. Um, yeah, but that. Yeah, you do it like you know, eight times, and then just loop it until you've got 256. Right. And then, and you can listen and sing along with it. Right. Is that the idea?
4: Yes. That and is.
1: And yeah, so that the recording helps you keep your place, and um, and you don't have to count.
3: Exactly. And. Um I asked the. Hath- I was a music major in college, and so I asked the Hathors what music I should use, and they gave me the music. They, you know, put the song in my head, and I scored it out, and I sent it to the music teacher, and she taught the kids, you know, make sure they did it right, and then I asked them about the rhythm, and I, y- you'll notice it was, um, but you could do it in any uh, rhythm, so you could do. One, two, three, four. That's syncopated. Or. So the idea is to participate, but to play with it and to make it a joyful singing.
1: Wow. I like that a lot. You know, I've got a musical background. And um that just that that just sounded divine in the true sense of the word Thank you, yeah. And uh, for some of our younger or newer listeners, could you please um, describe who the
3: Hathars are?: Yes, I'd be happy to. The Hathars are fifth dimensional beings that uh, came to Earth from Venus. They were invited by the ascended master Sana Kumara, and Sana Kumara was the master who stood before the Great Karmic Board and said, "Do not destroy Earth. I will come with 144,000." And that number of 144,000, if it resonates with you, you're probably one of them. So the Hathors themselves are beings that are feline, and the ancient Egyptian. Um, expressions of them were bovine, and the bovine image is because they perceive the cow as the giver of life, and the Hathors were visible to some of the artists. They weren't visible to everyone, and so they were depicted because of their their uh, certain kind of ears that you can see. So my first experience with the Hathors was feline, so I know it was authentic, and when I then came Found someone who knew about Egypt and was helping me to understand, and she said they were bovine, which would be cow. I was horrified. I thought, mm, "What did I? How did I get that?" But I put it on the shelf and just let it go. And then later, I met Sekmet, and Sekmet was the um, amazing, uh, fiery teacher that came out of the Eye of Ra when mankind was. Be misbehaving. Anyway, um, the Hathors are these amazing beings. They can be pictured as uh, feline, and in my world, they're feline. Some people will experience them as bovines. There's no judgment here. It's just how you experience them. And they have a certain kind of animal-type ear and a I'll call it a cupid face but it really looks like it could be a cat face or some i guess see it as a cow face but i never did and there is a picture i mean anybody who googles hathor is going to find their picture and they are beings that have unconditional love and whenever you're encountering difficult situations you can ask the hathors to overshadow you and help you and i will never forget the time that i was in a very difficult place with a soon-to-be ex-husband who had done some very horrible things to get me, you know, in that state. And I I remembered asking the Hathors that morning to help me, to be, uh, you know, kind-hearted. And I remember when I was facing this conversation and something horrible had been said to me, I was, I was ready to, you know, to be fierce. And instead, you know, hearts and roses came out of my mouth. And I remember thinking, what the heck is going on? And then I remembered I'd asked the Hathors to overshadow me. So they protected me from saying, you know, horrible things. <laughs> so wow. If
4: you're
3: a situation in your life, you know, somebody maybe pushes your buttons or somebody that you, you know, you're, you're in a situation where you're living with them or, or working with them and you know they're going to push your buttons. Ask the Hathors to help you. Ask the others to overshadow you, and they will fill you with unconditional love. And, and doing that helps you manifest unconditional love all the time, not just when you've asked. So you, you're, you grow your capacity to hold unconditional love when they help you, and it, there's a residual impact, a residual effect.
0: Right. It's
1: like <laughs>
3: you get a taste of it,
1: and then you can recall that taste any time you want. Exactly. Yeah. So <clears throat> when you say that they are from um Venus, mm-hmm. that made me think of Valiant Thor. Now is there a, a relationship between Valiant Thor and the Hathars or Hathors?
3: I think there probably is, but I don't know because I have um I don't know the answer. I haven't ever checked that out and it's because I haven't I haven't done that Game of Thrones thing
1: (laughs) isn't that where it's from? Uh, I have no idea Uh, no Valiant Thor um, no that's from um, A Stranger at the Pentagon it's a true story um, about uh, a a created being from Venus who came to uh, Washington D.C. in mid-March of 1957 met with the, the President and Vice President the Chiefs of Staff lived at the Pentagon for three years with um, a proposal to end hunger and disease and ultimately uh, they sent him away because it would have um, collapsed our economy.
0: Okay.
3: So
1: yeah, Valiant Thor is a real person.
3: Interesting. Okay, then, then yeah. I, when I checked in. When you asked the question and I checked in, I got yes, but I don't know anything else. So I'm getting agreement. That what you're proposing is true, um, yeah. That would that would that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, that I mean, the the same. They some of the things that you were saying about the Hathors, um, you know, when 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 Val Thor's uh, craft landed in this open field outside of D.C., you know, the police were sent, and they had their guns drawn, and the minute they they were, you know, he came out they were just overwhelmed with unconditional love and they put their guns down and did whatever he said because they knew he was no threat. So, oh. yeah, that kind of Sorry. seemed, it, it seemed kind of related to me. So uh, we actually have a caller now with, with a question. So um, you're going to be talking to Ann about the black helicopters. There's a second now. i give your mic open. Hi, Anne. You're on the air with Maureen. Go ahead with your question.
0: Hi, Maureen. Um, this is Anne. I've lived in Sedona for over 40 years. Uh, we used to see the black helicopters a lot. Uh, they seem to fly in formation of like four or six. There are no markings on them at all. Uh, sometimes they're flying towards the airport, but nobody interferes with them nobody seems to have any answers of what they really think is happening so um but we haven't seen them as much lately maybe two or three times in the last year and i have had it where um they have flown directly over the car yeah and that happened to one of my students you
3: know like a month ago um and it's so interesting um that uh I too have, have seen some of that activity lessen. So I am in agreement with your experience in Sedona and I look forward to meeting you. Please look me up. Well, how be, will
0: I find you in Sedona? Just through your website?
3: Yeah, through my website and say I'm Anne that talked to you on Star you know, on the Star Seed radio show.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay, that'd oh, cool. be great. Yeah. All right. And you know, I have not had the um, Merkaba training, so I don't know uh, <laughs> if I. I've been around a lot of people who have, so I don't know if some of it's rubbed off on me, and that's why they were they flew over my vehicle or what.
3: Well, what I know about the Merkaba is you do not have to have the training to have an activated Merkaba. It is true that taking the training ensures that you're going to have an activated Merkaba, but there's plenty of people out there that spontaneously have activated their Merkabas. So maybe you were, like you said, training can rub off, or maybe you're around somebody who's, you know, their Merkaba so powerful that it just triggers yours. Because the Merkaba is a remembering. It isn't just like a learning. We're actually remembering. Uh, the Merkaba because it's a, a spaceship that we build by ourselves for ourselves. So, why you know, you probably already activated it. And and the benefit of taking the training, or, or nowadays you just would watch a video, you will not have a class, is that um, it, it kind of ensures your success. But you could also ask your guidance. Is it necessary for me to do it? Do I need to do it? And then, you know, in, in another book of mine, called uh, Waking Up in 5D, I actually released a 5D Merkaba. So, you know, check in. Maybe you just need that one. You'll know.
0: Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for calling in, Ann. Okay. All right. Thanks, Ann. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. bye
1: Oh, that was a good question.
3: Yeah, it really was. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: People can have, um, have something by natural state, or as you said, they could have been influenced or another person was a catalyst.
3: Yeah, there's a very funny uh, story in the book, I think it's in the book, about a woman that I had taught in her class, taught a class in her home rather, and we had so much fun and we enjoyed each other's company so much, and she was a piano teacher. So um, she decided she wanted to have me come back. And she was going to go on vacation, and then I was coming the following week after she returned from vacation. So the night before she goes on vacation, it dawns on her, oh, my gosh, I haven't been doing the merkaba. Maureen will know. And that's so funny to me because I remember as a child going to piano lessons, if I didn't practice, my teacher knew. I couldn't hide that, you know. And so she decided she would activate her Merkava that night before she went to bed and before they got, you know, on the road for this family vacation that she and her husband were taking and the black helicopters came and she thought it was a med flight only they didn't go away they kept kept getting closer and closer and closer and pretty soon the log cabin that they lived in was shaking on the on the earth and she stuck her head out over the eaves, looking, and there were two helicopters. One was so close, it looked like it was going to land on her roof. Now, it just so happened that her son and daughter-in-law and grandson lived across the street. So when this happened, she shut everything down, turned off all the lights and went to bed. (laughs) When they get back, the whole family, including the grandson, goes for pizza. And the 16-year-old grandson said, to his grandma, Grammy, did you see those black helicopters that were over your house the night before you left? One looked like it was going to land on your house. Oh, honey, I I don't remember anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty pretty mysterious.
3: Mhm. Mhm. So it's yeah. it's quite fun and quite interesting. Um, and And again, to remind everyone if you're just like hearing this now, if you were visited by black helicopters, they are not gonna do anything to you. They're not gonna uh cause any problem for you. It's just a little unnerving because they're checking you out, and you're worried what are they doing you know, and the answer is they're following orders you're you know you're the anomaly. remember that, but not for long yes. we're all anomalies pretty soon, right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh,
1: and is it, so nobody really knows who's in charge of that or who's who's actually flying the thing.
3: Well, here's my uh, take on that. I personally don't need to know. I don't have that kind of curiosity. I don't really care because I know what their purpose is. And the purpose is to keep track of illegal aliens. And we're not talking green cards. Oh. It's well, like the got,
0: man, You know like the, the man, Men in
3: Black. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you watch if you've ever seen the first movie Men in Black, it's probably ninety five percent accurate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've had that feeling when I saw it the first time. Mhm.
4: Mhm.
1: Yeah. Um, but I'm, I was just the reason I was asking that is if if the black helicopters are from the the fifth dimension, they could probably do what the scout ships do without raising so much uh, curiosity. Because well, if if,
3: I, I, if Granny had
1: seen, you know, if she'd had spaceships over her house
3: yeah i I don't think that they're from the fifth dimension. I think they're from our reality. I think there's a agency within our um, government, if I may use that term, whose job it is to keep track of illegal aliens and to keep the lid on it. That's all huh. I mean we know we know we've been uh it's been covered up so yeah you know. Their job. (laughs) The thing the thing
1: that that hit my brain first off is like and what makes them so omnipotent that they can tell who says it's legal or illegal.
3: Oh, I'm you know, I mean yeah, I mean
1: those are my
3: not theirs. That's my word to kind of play with it to help people get it. Because if you go back to the movie in Men in Black, which really is a very good metaphor, their purpose was these guys that they were tracking were the ones that were not in the designated areas. And if you were outside of the designated areas, you were tracked and and brought back. And um, the the piano teacher was in Boise, Idaho. Idaho. Well, Boise is a tiny little town. They normally wouldn't have that kind of activity, but they're probably you know 30 miles in 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 um, Airtime away from Mountain Home Air Force Base, so somewhere there is some kind of tracking uh, ability, like radar, but not radar, that allows them to identify um, an unidentified energy, and they need to go check it out.
2: So right. I've,
1: so, yeah, the, they, the mass population on Earth, let's say they all they're all wearing blue shirts. But if someone shows up in a red shirt, it's like a little alarm goes off on a monitor someplace like, uh-oh, yeah, what's that red shirt doing over there?
3: That's right. That's right. Okay. And so so I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's <laughs> a joke, illegal aliens, meaning there are aliens from outside of our planet that are legally allowed to be here by, by somebody else's decree. I don't know what and I don't know who. I just happen to know it so. And those that are in unusual places when you or I activate a macaba, it can impact the the monitoring department I'll call it, yeah, and have to go chase it, check it out. That's all.
1: oh, well, as long as you know i mean you look at it, it's like, okay, it's there, so what i'm I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Because they, uh, you don't exactly. think that they interfere,
3: right? That's exactly what they do. They look at it, they realize it's an ordinary human like you and I, only we're extraordinary because we've been able to produce this high energy field, and then they leave.
1: Ah, huh. okay.
3: Yeah, that puts a,
1: that puts an entirely different um, perspective on the whole thing because it's, I mean, been hearing about that for thirty years without mm-hmm. understanding it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow Yeah. So well it's always such a pleasure to have you on the show. And I want to remind everyone, um, one more time, your website is Maureen M A U R E E N Saint S T Germain G E R M A I N dot com. And you've just got a ton of resources on your website. And and of course, after you move um, in August, people can uh, can find you through the website. That's true.
3: They can find and, you now.
1: And, yeah, we're booking. Yeah, and your that. speaking engagements um, will be on the website as well. So if you happen to be coming to someone's town, they can come and and um, and hear you know the, these events that you're doing.
3: That is correct. And like I said, I'm going to be in Mount Chesta. I am going to be uh, teaching in um, West Florida, near Sarasota, and I will be uh, teaching online classes where people can, you know, call in from anywhere. And we do get people from all over the world. Um, I also teach classes in China online, and um, I've been traveling to China for years and years, and. You know, when COVID hit, we went, we went virtual. So <clears throat> in August 26th, I'll be at the Mount Shasta Summer Conference. And then um, I'm also going to uh, be at a conference in Florida, as I said, West Florida, on the 20th and 21st of August. So they're like two weekends apart. But if you're in West Florida, you can come to the event there. And if you are able to come to Mount Chassa, um, both places will have no masks, so um, it should be a good environment. Great. Great.
1: Well, we so appreciate you for the work you do on the planet and just being such a a beautiful person (laughs) all around. So thank you for that, and thank you for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, your
3: experiences.
1: And uh, we look forward
3: to having you back. Um, whenever you want thank you thank you Ariane. and, and you know you guys run a, a good show and it's absolutely a delight to be part of your presentation oh. thank you well, thank you thank
1: you so um, we're going to wrap it up now boys and girls and until uh, two weeks from tonight in the, uh, in the interim between now and then make sure that you find compassion and gratitude in every day Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.